correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Opcast, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum. Our podcast does in-depth reviews of the books covering everything from the first edition to the newest StoryPath edition of the books published for the Trinity Continuum, including Aeon, Aberrant, Adventure, and more. Our show is hosted across the multiverse, and sometimes we may reference times, places, and shows that you don't have in your feed. Don't worry, this isn't a bug. It's just us referencing alternate timelines. We'll do our best to ensure all episodes end up appearing eventually, but they may not always go out in the order we record them or even have the same hosts. If you'd like to email us with awesome comments, ideas, or frustrations, you can do so at tcopcast at gmail.com. So I am one of the hosts, Josh Heath. You may know me from such podcasts as Werewolf the Podcast, Mage the Podcast, and more. I'm also the Chief Operations Officer of High Level Games, and I love the Trinity Continuum. I am also another host of this podcast. My name is Scott Cuban. I run Simulacra Studios. It's an actual play podcast. Uh, you can find us on YouTube and Twitch at Simulacra TV. I also co-host the RPG discussion podcast, Polyhedron. Today, we are going to shout out uh, another member of the D20 Radio Network, Me and Steve Talk RPGs, which is an excellent conversational podcast about the amazing world of tabletop RPGs. So, Folks, go check them out and check out the rest of the cast and crew of the various D20 Radio Network. Indeed. So today we are going over the first book in the Trinity Continuum proper. Uh, and it is a uh, 1990, was it 1996s or 98s? Seven, 97. It's 96, 97. Okay, somewhere in there. <laughs> 1997's Aeon, which was quickly renamed to Trinity because of lawsuits. Uh, well, due to threatened Viacom. lawsuits, I believe. I don't think there was lawsuits, actual yeah. lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. It, it was Aeon Flux. Uh, Viacom, who owned MTV, who had Aeon Flux, which is a TV show character, uh, didn't like the use of the word Aeon, which was stupid in my opinion. Um, no, I liked Aeon Flux. Aeon Flux was a fantastic show. Uh, it was an but, excellent show. I'm not quite sure why they... Th- felt threatened by a game that would really not overlap in their space yeah, there's, at all. There's almost no overlap. I mean, it is a, it is a sci-fi show, but there, there, they could be not be no more different. Um, but so it got renamed to Trinity and then we, uh, we, the, the worm ate its own head. And now in the new edition, it's back to being called Aeon, which is the proper name. Uh, I never really, I never called it Trinity. And whenever I was playing or running it, I always called it Aeon just because I thought it was a better name and it was stupid that, uh, that it had to be renamed that. Um, so before we get into depth, we want to do a quick note about how we are going to be approaching first edition material in general. Uh, we are looking at this mainly from the perspective of being a resource for um, story path edition Uh, games Um, we do so because the rules of the story path system are by and large absolutely superior 
to the rules of the first edition. The rules of the first edition are based off of the storyteller system from White Wolf Games. Um, and while not bad, they are certainly outdated and newer, newer RPG mechanics technology has been developed in the intervening years, which leads to a better experience running and playing the games. So our main focus, although we're not going to completely discount talking about the rules, our main focus is talking about the setting of first edition material uh, in terms of, you know, what is different, what has been changed, what versions are better or what changes we like. Uh, and just sort of basically pointing out cool things that you can mine for your story path edition games. Josh, do you have anything to add to that? Nothing to add to that. Um, just to say that no one here dislikes the old system. Mm-hmm. It is certainly just that story path is a better design system that reflects the genre much more effectively or the genre is much more effectively than the original system does. And yeah. I played a ton of it. So mm-hmm. I respect it but I can recognize that StoryPath does what it sets out to do much more effectively. Yeah. My general opinion, I think for Aeon and Adventure, I think both of those games are perfectly playable. Like there's, there's no, there's nothing wrong with them. Like they don't really rub up against anything. Aberrant gets a little out of hand. Yep. uh, Just because the scale of, of what you can do in Aberrant is so wildly divergent from anything that the storyteller system, I think is capable of handling. Exactly. Uh, and, and that was the still, issue with it was that yeah. it just couldn't handle God level supers particularly well. Mm-hmm. And while that's not, again, a massive failing of the system for Trinity or adventure, mm-hmm. it really hurts when you get into aberrant and you're like, I want to play a 200 Nova point Nova. And man, you're, yeah, it, you're going to real bad. It's yeah. real rough. I had to I had to story tell a couple of those big big time characters who got up to quantum six and it was just like oh god. Um, but I like I think the storyteller system evolved since Aberrant, like Exalted Second and Third Edition. I think handles that kind of high level play better, but I think Story Path handles it even more better than than the evolutions of this this system has. I think by basically going down to first principles and building it back up with with the concept of scale in mind, mm-hmm. it's just it's a better system. But that's neither here nor there. That's for a more in-depth future discussion when we get to first edition aberrant. Um, first edition Aeon, perfectly great in my opinion. Um, there are some differences in the rules that we're going to go over um, and some basics about the rules. Like we said, it's storyteller system. It is very familiar. If you played like anything in the pre V five edition of the world of darkness uh, or even the Chronicles of darkness, you're going to be very familiar with how the system works. You know, pools of D tens, there's a willpower stat, there's a power stat, um, I think probably mechanically, it's, Aeon is most similar to Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, the side powers are basically disciplines uh, in terms of how they're set up mechanically. You know, you have a dot rating and it gives you a specific power. Uh, and it's very, like I said, it's solid. It works pretty well. Um, the only difference, like key difference, I think, to call out is that there is a set difficulty in yes. this, which I think we mentioned in another episode, but that set difficulty was of uh not a revelation but uh, a nuance that was at least helpful once you knew what your difficulty was in this game mm-hmm. and all the other um ones in the continuum it was clear like hey th- that's it end of story yeah yeah it made the basic resolution of of conflict and risk 
much more uniform across the board. You didn't have to like do any like weird math in terms of difficulty target number. It was all about number of successes, uh, which I think is a better system and it's borne out to be a better system. Um, Another interesting thing that we find in here are the allegiances. As part of character creation, you choose an allegiance, uh, which assigns you a certain amount of skills uh, that you pick from a specific list. Uh, those of you familiar with the story path system are going to find this very familiar uh, because it is essentially the precursor to paths, uh, which I think is very interesting because it's, it's something that only comes up in Aeon. Uh, they don't do this in, in Aberrant. They don't do this in um, Adventure. They only do this in Aeon, yet that is the concept that, that carries on into the future. This idea of you have a part of yourself is a connected to you know, uh, an organization or your origin as a person, and it, it silos you off into a certain amount of your development as ter in terms of your skills. Uh, which I find interesting that, you know, you, you have this, this thing that appeared in the first, very first uh, book of this uh, universe that carries on. Yep. And you have some shades of that in Aberrant and Adventure, but no, nothing quite as systematically focused as you have allegiances in, in Aeon. So yeah. that is a good thing to at least be cognizant of. And one thing that I thought was cool um, is that as the books came out, um, you got even like there were allegiances within allegiances. So you could get narrow and you can get more specific in terms of, uh, you know, what specific training you received from your Psy order as they all had their little individual factions within themselves. And each of those factions came with another allegiance. So it gave a lot of options for when you're making your character of like, yeah, I want to be an ISRA, but I really want to be more of a detective IRSRA. Um, whereas other people might like, no, I want to be more of a, of, you know, a piloty, you know, kind of jumping around the stars kind of ISRA. So that was very interesting and very cool. Uh, the only other mechanical interesting thing that I think I like, but I understand why they didn't do more with is how the side trait is derived in Aeon. Uh, it's derived by a combination of your attributes, which they haven't done anything like that in anything of the other game. But I, I like it from a conceptual basis because it, it's basically like the Psy is a part of you, like who you are as a person, and it's tied to very intrinsic traits in you, which kind of, in my opinion, that makes a lot of narrative sense. Um, but mechanically, I get why they do it more the way they do it in every other game. Yeah, it, that is one of those things that you can see the logic behind it. And mm -hmm. from a development standpoint, this book took nine months to to create. Mm -hmm. I can absolutely see them going, uh, this this makes sense. And it not being bad by any stretch, but certainly in the future, looking at that going, no, oh, you know, that's kind of a weird way to derive a stat like that, which can mm -hmm. be completely separate and not narratively wrong either. So. Well, well what it meant is that scions had a higher inherent power stat than inspired or aberrants or novas. Uh, it just mechanically, they had a diff different levels of stats. Like scions would always have a higher level of that stat um, just because they derived it from, as a, from a different mechanic. Uh, but moving on to the, the book itself, the, uh, rather than the, the rules, what do we think about the art in this book? I am really conflicted about the art in this book where there is some of it that I really, really enjoy. And it certainly gives a cyberpunkish feel 
like the uh, the trade dress and everything makes me think of late 90s cyberpunk Mm -hmm. but it's also not good in a lot of ways and i say that that's such a like objective truth but there are some art in here that i look at and go i don't i understand this is a hologram Mm -hmm. particularly those are the worst ones Uh, for me yeah yeah like this is a hologram of otha herzog but i can barely see his face through all the other stuff around it and it doesn't quite work. So like it's got great art, but then it's also got art that makes me go, okay, we should not ever do that again. Yeah. I, I, I get you there. I mean, I, I, I agree. Like some of the art, some of the stuff is very jarring to look at. And I think it was a, it was a sort of a style over function kind of art. Like they were really going for this like super futuristic holographic representation. And I understand what, what they were going for, but it does look very jarring. Um, I think it's very interesting because when, when we were leading up to um, when we were leading up to the release of, of Trinity Continuum Aeon, the story path edition, uh, they released uh, basically versions of those art that looked a lot more like they did YouTube videos mm-hmm. that had that art, but made them move and kind of look more 3d. And it's like, Oh, there we go. That's exactly, that's what they were going for. That's what they wanted it to be. But there's only so much they could do with like the current level of technology and the fact that it was, you know, a book. Right. Um, and, and I get it. It It's an idea that again, they probably had and thought, Oh, we don't have a whole lot of time to think about this and it's not bad, but it's certainly odd. There are some like double faces and things like that a couple yeah, of times. And yeah. you're like, is this supposed to be like this? I'm not sure what I'm looking at, but yeah. But in terms of other art, I mean, some of it's just iconic. Uh, like uh, I'm, I'm immediately drawn to the one on. Uh, let's see here. Uh, bad with page numbers. Page sixty-six. Ha ha. By the way, uh, of uh, Divis Mall clutching the UN Secretary General and incinerating him. Like that is our first glimpse of this iconic character, uh, and it is very evocative and very cool, in my opinion. That 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 is always the piece of art that, that jumps out at me when I think about this book. Yeah. Uh, and, and in addition I, to the, it's the funny, I went right to that page because I was about to talk about it and I yeah. <laughs> went there. So yes, yep. it's absolutely iconic. And, but also the, the art on the, uh, the accompanying page of the aberrants, the return of the aberrants, uh, you know, are like, you know, you get the sensation it's a period, it's a, a series of four images, uh, which, you know, gives you the idea of like, Oh, this is a video. This is a video feed that we're, we're looking at of like a warp point forming. And then, you know, a horde coming out and destroying a space station. Then you get a close up of one of them. And then the screen just goes completely green static, um, which I think that's very cool and iconic in terms of like, Oh shit, they're back. Yep. You also have the original Legion triumphant yes which i i think is on somewhere around the 80s and i they redid this Mm -hmm. for the new edition and it's great art because it is a clear here's a group of scions fighting a group of aberrants in a way that you're like oh what's going on who's got what powers here yeah how are they Mm -hmm. using them it's super evocative. So yeah, it shows the aberrance of these like alien monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like what they've done in play with that. Um, that image uh, is they've described it as that is actually a mural that is on the wall somewhere in like Australia, like in play in the universe of the second of the uh, story path edition. That in Im- that iconic image from first edition is an iconic image within the universe. Yeah, which 
I think that's cool. But yeah, I mean, uh, going into like the, the black and white section, there's a lot, there's a sort of a, they definitely have a different art style for the black and white um, edition uh, section of the book. And a lot uh, of that art um, was by folks like uh, Leaf Jones yes. and some other folks like that. I want to talk about two things before mm-hmm. we move too far forward. One, this book is divided into two sections, an yes. in-world section that is all full color that happens at the front of the book, and then a rules slash kind of peek behind the curtain section, which is all in black and white, which is the second three quarters mm-hmm. of the bookish half of the book. Yeah. And I like that they do that. They have that in uh, Aberrant and Adventure as well, those two kind of sections. Um, I think that is a very smart way of designing these books. The yes. only thing I struggle with is the credits and things are in the back of the book. Hmm. And particularly if you're reading it on a PDF, it can be hard to be like, oh, right, I've got to go to the back of the book to get the credits to figure Fair. out who you know did this section or who yeah. did this art or um, whatever. Yeah. I, I absolutely adore this. And I think like, obviously they didn't know uh, about, you know, they didn't know the future. But I think that that is actually a very helpful thing in, in you know, the year of uh, 2021, uh, well, when we're recording this podcast, um, is that if you're just looking for stuff uh, for your Story Path Edition game, it is very easy to just look at the in-color sections of these books, uh, because that's, that's where all, like, the, the setting fluff is going to be, for the most part. They have some stuff in the black and white sections, particularly, like, in the the order books about like the proxies themselves and sort of the behind the scenes stuff. But by and large, what you're going to be looking for is going to be the in color sections. Um, And what the biggest reason for that and the biggest, like I understand them taking a different tact with this uh, in the story path edition. They did not do the, the, the bifurcation of system and setting in story path edition. Um, But what, what we lose from that is the in world perspective because there's so much in this book that is in world from different perspectives, from, you know, media, uh, you know, messages in between people. And they do, they do do some of that, but it is chock full of that stuff, you know, because in my opinion, it makes, it makes the setting live and breathe. It's what attracted me to the setting when I picked it up in 1997 of like, oh, this is like a fully fleshed out real setting that that is, you know, a hundred so or so years in the future. And that's really interesting because we get a, the slice of what is this world actually like? What do the people talk like? What are they what are they talking about? What are the topics that are important to them? You know, what's their slang? Uh, what are their what are their culture pop culture references? Because there are pop culture references here that are obviously you know we don't exist, but they treat them as though they're real, and that's great. I love that. I absolutely adore that. Yeah, I'm exactly in the same boat. Where I love all of this framing, and honestly, from a design standpoint, when I look at making books these days, this is the type of thing I get inspired by. Because mm-hmm. yes, good story hooks can be written into you know, a more generic sort of way that is fine, but having at least some total in-world segments is really like immersive and immediately makes you feel like I'm reading a text 
or I'm reading a, or I'm, you know, reading a, an outline of something or whatever it is, wherever it is from, it is immersing me in the world. And that helps me then write stories off of it. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, another thing to sort of point out is that that means that every piece of art in the full color, in the full color edition is in universe. Right. It's not necessarily, oh, this is just a bit of art in a game book. It's like, no, this is like a picture of something that exists in the world. Or, you know, this is a bit of propaganda or, or like a textbook image. And, this is, and it, it, it really makes the setting live and breathe. Yep. And you can hand these things. You can hand these pages mm-hmm. to players and be like, here's an ad that you see. And mm-hmm. you're not giving anything away, really, by mm-hmm. doing those things. Because these are generally things, some of them are like, secret messages and things like that but generally a lot of these are things you could find in the world Mm -hmm. and it would be totally appropriate for the players to know it and overall the um i think i think if you if you if you read like the first little bit of text that you get after the fiction the in play section is put together like a big dossier of like hey you're a new scion and you're working with the aeon trinity here's everything you need to know about being a scion and living in our world and like here's an info dump of all the stuff that you may not have gotten from the news here's some secret stuff that we've we've included to give you guys a better perspective it is like a uh, it's like an, an employee dossier yep uh which like I said, that's amazing. Like you can literally just hand that to a player and say like, this is literally what you get for your onboarding. Um, and it, it would really live and breathe. Yep, for sure. So th- we've kind of covered the art in, in a high level. We've covered some of the fiction. Do we want to start kind of yeah, drilling let's get, down into specifics? Let's drill, drill yeah. into that. Uh, the first bit is a rather... Um, rather extensive uh, fiction. I think this is one of the more, the, the more longer like opening fictions in any RPG book. Yeah. Like, it's it's about, something like 20 pages. Yeah. It's about 20 pages. Um, why don't you give us a summary of that, Josh? So I love this story for being a bit of a cyber noir mm-hmm. story. Like from the beginning, you've got these two figures in a, like a snowy mountain pass moving and like just running into the actual monastery of St. Bernard uh, mm-hmm. where the, with the dogs are like referenced from. And that is just like a, a neat little like non-tech way to start this, that then you start slowly get getting fed the world and the technology elements and things like that, that are present and the psionics. And then this, you change a perspective i think three or four times where mm-hmm. now you're in a different place with different people and there's like gangsters chasing the people from the first part of the story this is so good for again an inspirational piece everyone should read this if they are playing any version of aeon mm-hmm. because it is going to give you lots of fodder you may not run aeon exactly this way but it gives you such a strong feel for this is how the different darker layers of the setting in particular mm-hmm. can impact what are generally the lighter, kinder, good parts of the setting. And I like that dichotomy that you get from this story. And it, I think it's very, very useful as an example of the type of thing that works in the world. Yeah, I, I really love the character of Varya. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the uh, the the clairsentient who's kind of w- with our main character. 
uh, because it, it she very she epitomizes what an, an ISRA clear sentient is all about. She's very easygoing. She's kind of go with the flow. Uh, you know, she has an agenda, but she's not like breathing down his neck about his or her agenda. She kind of trusts the totality that things will go the way they need to go. Um, but she's still very there, very present, very helpful, and just you know every now and then nudges him in a direction that you know might be beneficial for the universe as a whole. And that's like, that's what an ISRA is supposed to be like. Yep. Yep. It's, um, the characters are great here. Sorry mm-hmm. to just beat on that, but the, I think they're well developed. Whoever wrote this fiction has my support. Please write more. Yeah. Uh, uh, great. Yeah. Great. Uh, George Alec Effinger, um, which I remember when this book was coming out, they made a big deal about having a piece of uh, fiction from him. I still don't know who he is. <laughs> I, I'm not familiar with them as well. Yeah, either, not, but... not familiar with them anyway, but he apparently was a big deal in 1997. Um, so yeah, moving on to this sort of the, the more bulk of the setting book, like I said, this whole in play section is, is like, is reads like a dossier. It begins with like a short journal, like an article from a journal, um, like a, like a, uh, it's, it's a, into the new millennium, a look at the events that have shaped the world of the 22nd century by Warren Shaw from Retrospective, copyright 2120 OBC, uh, which is a, a, a media corporation in this world. Uh, and it's, it's a retrospective journalistic article that you might find in you know a, a journal or a paper or something like that. It's written exactly like that, but it doubles as like a very, very competent encapsulation and introduction to the world in general um and it has some of that holographic art which you know gives you gives you this idea of like hey this you're not reading this in a book you're reading this on a terminal or a view or vid screen or something that has this holographic you know floating head uh accompanying it um you know and the trade dress there is and as i think a cool thing that i believe you touched on josh is that the trade dress does jump around and change based off like the source of the document that you're reading which is great it makes you feel like again that you're reading a multitude of documents rather than Mm -hmm. just flipping through a single book which is cool and it feels very cyberpunky yes very much so uh, and then we have a section that starts with about the Aeon Trinity, which is very appropriate for the setting as a whole. They did a very good, very good thing of like hitting you with Aeon, uh, what Aeon is, because it is the central pillar of the setting, not just in this book, but in every book leading they're leading on. Uh, and that very much reads like a like an introductory um you know, welcome to the Aeon Trinity, Scion, you're here to help humanity and we're here to help you help humanity um, thing. And it has all sorts of inserts and, uh, you know, supplementary material. Um, and it's very cool. It's very, it's laid out very well. It describes the Aeon Trinity in very succinct manners. What I like about it too, is it gives it to you straight without mm-hmm. a lot of the conspiracies for a bit of it. Mm-hmm. And then you have these little Proteus archive yeah. messages, which are like, oh, hey, there's a conspiracy here. Mm-hmm. There's a conspiracy here. And I like how it slowly starts giving you those things. It doesn't hit you over the head with them right away. I, I like that. So you come into this thing, you know, okay, bright, happy, interesting. Even with the fiction, you're probably like, no, oh, maybe not so. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, there's some depth going on here yeah there's depth i mean the overall impression that you get out of the aeon trinity is that by and large they're the good guys like they are definitely here to help they have good intentions um but you know there's there's dark secrets and there's there's 
you know, sins of the past that creep in. Um, but you, but you definitely get the sensation that they are not, that's not a fatal flaw. It's not something that is damned. It's not doomed to fail. This is something that can be overcome with the help of perhaps a group of plucky scions, uh, you know, who, uh, you know, who have hearts of gold and want to actually change the world. Right. Which is one of the revelations of this is like, yes, it's a dark setting in a lot of ways, but unlike the world of darkness where everything is going to end terribly, hope is one of those core messages mm-hmm. in this game. We, there is a chance that a plucky group of scions can actually change things. And it's nice to have that even in this like, hey, there's conspiracies every two feet sort of mm-hmm. world. Absolutely. And I think they, they definitely carry that aspect on to into the story path edition. I mean, you, we, we get, I mean, we'll definitely talk about this when we talk about the Aeon uh, training continuum book, but you know, they have a summary of like, here's how things go if nothing major happens. And it's not great. There's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of loss in the the sort of the the predetermined story. But you can definitely say like, oh yeah, no, if heroes intervened, like if exceptional scions, you know, who happen to have character sheets and be played by the people who are going to be playing the game intervene, there's dozens of instances where this can be made better. And you get that sensation even in this first book as well. Yep. And I think that's revelatory from a 19, mm-hmm. uh, 97, 98, technically as 98 in the book, but I believe it was released in 97. Yeah. White Wolf was doing some funny things with, you know, publication dates at that time. Yeah. But it was revelatory to have a game from them that was actually had any sense of you can change and fix the mm-hmm. future. So, yeah. And uh, I mean, I think that carried on to Exalted as well. You know, like the, the core assumption was that the world of Exalted was going to explode seven different ways unless uh which i thought was cool as well there's a lot of cross there's a lot of cross-pollination between aeon and exalted in this era of the game because they were being developed a very similar uh time frame um but yeah moving on we have a chapter on sci specifically which as a sci-fi nerd i fucking love my god that chapter on sci like it just went like hip deep into woogity sci-fi cool stuff like it talks about theory it talks about the science it it makes it seem like not just it's not hand wavium they thought through how their power system works in a sort of very real grounded science fiction way and that was yet another thing that that grabbed me i'm like hey this kind of I can kind of make sense like they're talking about the grand unification theory they're talking about real science stuff and sliding in this fifth fundamental force. And that was cool. Like I loved how they presented that. that. It works really well. It feels like it's a document describing or trying to describe the science of Mm -hmm. the time and failing because there's some stuff that they're not telling you, which you can pick out here. But it, again, it feels like someone is trying to explain to you like you're a kid and they're not trying to hide anything. They're mm-hmm. just trying to make it so you can understand it. Right. And right. it doesn't feel condescending, but that's the only way I can describe how this reads is like yeah. trying to explain it to you because you don't have these powers. Yeah. You don't have these powers or you do. And, but well, I mean, I think it, it gives a sensation of like, this is where the top level scientists are like, this is the cutting edge. People mm-hmm. are, are still actively wrestling with the mysteries of this. Like they don't have an entire handle on it. And really smart people are having problems trying to figure this stuff out. Whereas scions can just kind of do it. 
like you don't necessarily have to understand the science of your own powers because it's tied to you intrinsically. Yeah. Uh, you have an intrinsic ability to manipulate these things, even if you don't understand what you're doing. Um, which is kind of, I guess, like, oh man, that would be such a frustration to be a baseline newetic scientist. Right. Of like, how do they do this crap without knowing what they're doing? Right. One like, of the, they're doing miracles. Holy shit. One of the call outs in here that I really love from a, this, use this in your new edition games is mm-hmm. there is a in-character text from SK Barano. Mm-hmm. I need more of this. Yes. I want to know how she writes because it will tell me how to like present her in a game i have Mm -hmm. never felt like i've gotten a really good handle on how i should portray her in a game and then i came back to this and went oh this is super helpful absolutely it is it it immediately made me go oh now i have a good handle on this is how she talks Mm -hmm. and we don't get enough of that stuff in the new edition this gives you this book gives you like bits and pieces of that from all of the proxies standpoints and that's super super helpful for me yeah and we're gonna we'll move on to the side orders which i think uh just like you mentioned one of the more valuable parts of this it's it's a basic rundown just like the aeon trinity section of like this is what this side order is really all about this is how they're structured this is how they do it all from an in-world perspective uh and you always get at least for most of them you always get like a news article or an interview or a message exchange from the proxy itself where you get a very direct representation of who this person is, what their personality is like, Uh, because, you know, it is not unreasonable to expect that a scion will have semi-regular contact with their proxy. This isn't like an antediluvian in vampire. Like this is a person who has a job, who is part of the organization that you work for, that if you, you know, have the appropriate clearances or, you know, have, have an important enough issue, you can absolutely have a sit down with any of these people. Yep. Um, and almost and, all of them have an open door policy of some form mm-hmm. and kind of mention that. So the idea of having your exceptional characters have a conversation with a proxy is not strained. That should be a fairly regular occurrence in a game where that you just get that opportunity. So it's nice to, to be able to portray them well by having some of that, this is how they would act text mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Um, uh, I think probably one of the biggest call outs in terms of differences in, from uh, storyteller to story path edition, uh, in, my, in my view is the Norsa. They have drastically changed the origin and somewhat the makeup of the Norsa. Um, and uh, this might get a tiny bit political uh, because in first edition in, in Aeon, uh, the Norsa started out as, they started out as, as one of the uh, warring drug cartels of South America. Uh, and they really go into this more in the uh, order book that comes out um, because in this, in Aeon, they make a big deal of like, a lot of drugs have been legalized and have been, you know, worked with, with science to make them, their, their side effects or harmful side effects less damaging and their addictive po- po- properties uh, dampened a lot. And part, a lot of this was due to the Norsa because the Norsa, even though they were a drug cartel, they were like, you know what doesn't work? 
killing people and killing our 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 users uh, through you know damaging drugs and ruining their lives with addictive chemicals. They are very basically sort of forward thinking, and they work with like they work in secret with a lot of government efforts to form both a monopoly by you know working with the government and by taking out the more criminal uh, drug cartels from the other end. Um, Whereas in the new version, they started off as sort of like an eco-terrorist agency. Right. Um, There are arguments both ways, I think, mm -hmm. for what would be a better angle to take Norsa. Mm -hmm. I like that they've removed some of the edge off them in Mm -hmm. the new edition. But then again, if you're looking to add some depth and darkness, Mm -hmm. reaching back to these bits and pieces and saying... It's not too far-fetched to see like some of the remnants of FARC or some of the remnants of mm-hmm. other of those drug cartels in the Columbia region mm-hmm. may have also been part of uh, yes. early Norsa. And yeah, that. well, I mean, I think structurally, it def- like you definitely get the uh, like, I don't really have much of a handle on how new edition Norsa are organized and how they operate. I know how first edition Norsa work because they're, they're basically a, car- a crime family. Right. They, they work on like a crime family, uh, you know, cell based structure. And I get that. I understand that. Um, and the only thing, thing I'll say from a political standpoint is like I am a huge uh, I do not I hate the drug war. I hate the idea of the drug war. I think it causes like much more pain and misery than, you know, addiction or any of that can. I think drugs are a health problem, not a crime problem. Right. Um, so I personally loved the fact that one of like the sci fi the future is better elements is that we have abandoned that nonsense and, and deal with drugs in a much more healthy and rational and science-based way. So the change actually it, from a political level, the change irked me a little. That's fair. Uh, because I, that's one of my big political bugbears. Fair. Um, so I think we should do this real quick. Cause I don't actually know if we have in any episode yet, we should probably do a quick, these are who each of the uh, orders are. Sure. Sure. So um, you've got the uh, Esculapians, which is a terrible word. Oh. Um, they are the doctors. They are your vitakinetics who can do magic, you know, healing. Mm-hmm. You've got the Chitrabanu, who are quantakinetics, who in this and in the new edition have been purged. And they are the ones that are able to work with strong quantum forces. They have connections to the aberrants for real or for not, you know, depending mm-hmm. on what you believe. You have Isra or ISRA, who are the uh, clairsentients, the ones that can see the future and things like that. You have the legions who are um, uh, bio, not bio, psychokinetics, psychokinetics, yep, um, who they use combat powers for lack of a better term. Like they are a, a military uh, unit that has like firepower and things like that. Um, you have the Upeo Wamacho, who in this edition are gone. They are the teleporters. They have disappeared. They come back in later books. You get some rules for them. But in this first core book, they have disappeared and are no longer around. Mm-hmm. You've got Orgotech, who are the, um, the, the biokinetics. No. Yes. The no, Orgotech are the electrokinetics. Electrokinetics. I don't know why I keep going biokinetic for everybody. Anyway, Orgotech. Mm-hmm. They make, um, you know, electronics. They are a, a corporation in the U.S. and they are very interesting and also terrible, if you ask me. Like they're one of the <laughs> orders I have the, the hardest time figuring out how they work. Then you've got Norsa, 
who we've mentioned already. We've got kind of that covered. Uh, yeah, they are the biokinetics. Right. They are the actual biokinetics and they are in South America. And then you've got the ministry who are the psychics who can read your mind and the ministry are connected to China. But in this book, their proxy is actually from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And she, in the, uh, the updated edition is from China. That is an interesting like differentiation. There's lots of like layers to why yeah. of that there, but that's a quick overview. Anyway. Yeah. That's a quick overview of who they are and what they can do. Uh, well, I think we'll, we'll sort of go more in depth when we talk about it in the second edition uh, or the, the story path edition uh, about like more the nitty gritty of them. Um, but yeah, those are the, those are the side orders. They are who you can be essentially in addition to the Aeon Trinity. Um, next section we have is the aberrants themselves, which are, oh boy, I love aberrants as an antagonist. They're so cool. Uh, and what I love about the section that we have on the aberrants is that it really reads like this is something that society has tried to forget. Uh, you know, aberrants have been mythologized in this and you have a, like a, a lot of accounts of saying like hey i know that you know aberrants are you know either forgotten or mythologized and even some some of your you edgy teens might think that they're cool uh no they're not cool they're monsters uh that what the the information they present on them is like now that they're back we need to wipe away a lot of the cultural bullshit and tell you give it to you straight what these things are they are monsters they are the biggest threat that anyone has ever faced and they're back so stop screwing around don't uh mythologize these guys don't think that they're cool take them seriously and right. the information that we get regarding them makes that very clear yep i think the aberrants in this edition are cool not cool in a i want to hang out with them way but these are super good antagonists mm-hmm. they are weird they are strange they are monstrous in a way that makes it feel like I'm doing the right thing by fighting back against these things. And yeah. of course, like a good white wolf book, they peel back some of those layers and show maybe it's not as obvious as it was, as you think it is, mm-hmm. but going into it, every scion should feel like I'm fighting back against these things yeah. to protect humanity. And that's a great core mentality to have. Well, and that's one of the uh, that's one of the the sort of the conspiracy aspects where you know Aeon is a little darker in this edition uh, is that the fact that Aeon actively rewrote a lot of Project Rewrite, which is a thing in both sets both um, uh, settings, is very different because in in the first edition Project Rewrite is like, all right, we need to downplay our involvement with the Novas and make it make it seem like all of them went insane uh, so that you know we have a much clearer message in combating them. Uh, and like they literally rewrote and like deleted a lot of information uh, to keep it from the public, which is, you know, kind of messed up. <laughs> it's incredibly messed up. And it makes you immediately not trust Aeon. Cause I don't mm-hmm. in this, in the original books in particular, you should not trust them. They are yeah. not your friend. They portray themselves as, and there's a sense of being able to change who Aeon is, mm-hmm. but at its core, Aeon is definitely not your friend. I wouldn't go so far as to say that they're not their, your friend. I think that Aeon in the setting does a lot of good and has a lot of reasons for why they've done what they've done. Um, but I think it's more along the lines, of, in my opinion, that Aeon needs to live up to its own hype better. 
Sure. Uh, it need it needs a re- it needs reforming to be what it could be because it's it's you know decades upon decades upon decades of distance from the original vision of Max Mercer and the original Aeon Society have not done it favors. Right. Uh, and it, it, there needs to be a, re, uh, a revival of the original ideals of it to, you know, move past all of the, the detritus that the aberrant war and the intervening time has put on it and make, re, re, make it a reborn organization. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. I think there's, there is absolutely a sense that you can reform it, too. Mm-hmm. And a reformed Aeon is much more what you have in the new Story Path edition. Yeah where they are clearly the good guys you know they are yeah. trying to do good they're not perfect but they're definitely set themselves up in a way where they're always stretching for being good and wanting to do good which yeah that is the difference between this edition where like this edition they're kind of mired in not being able to quite get there yeah um but that's fine uh, yeah. like that is a thing you could pull on too if you want yeah. some corrupt elements of aeon pulling from this book to do that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Because Aeon is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it makes sense that Aeon has some corruption and some, some dark elements of it because it's an incredibly powerful organization and, you know, power is a corrupting thing. You know, people who get their hands on power, regardless of its source or the ideals that it, it purport, purports to have the, there always is going to be a chance that someone's going to misuse that power. Yep. Um, Moving on, we have the history section, which is uh, probably the most like RPGist section of the book, even though it's laid out like, you know, uh, laid out like a here's another part of the dossier. And this is this is the, the nitty gritty. This is where you get sort of the brass tacks of what the setting is, how things, you know, how things diverged from what we in, a, you know, in 1997 knew of the world versus here's how things changed from this point on where the, the rise of the Novas, the aberrant era, turning into the aberrant war, uh, leading to the crash and all of these other big changes in the world that leads us into the world of, of uh, Aeon in the 22nd century. Uh, and it, it is a good read. Like that's, that's my basis of it. it is It is not dry or dull. It's a lot of really cool information that, that lets you know kind of the nitty gritty of all the things that have kind of been hinted at and glossed over and given kind of a top level description in the, in the earlier parts of the book, you get the real deal in this, this section. Yeah. What I like too, is it the highlights that it gives you the, like uh, the, the titles, the subtitles of different sections mm-hmm. are immediately make you stop and go, okay, I'm going to read this section now and figure out mm-hmm. how I'm going to incorporate some of this history into my game. You've got the ultimatum and the Exodus, which is, about the aberrant war and that is a key moment mm-hmm. you've got the crash another key moment in history that we're going to get in um in anima which is mm-hmm. great that we're going to get something that's a little closer to that and then you've got the urban schism again super important to understand why people live in our colleges mostly these days as opposed to not um, yeah and it's good to have these different like call-outs for these different chunks. I yeah. really love this timeline. And there are, on the on the margins of this, there are, once again, like excerpts and interview bits and news article bits and messages that give a more, uh, you know, direct, like, um, description and in-universe in 
uh, slice of what the topic is that they're talking about. And like, it's literally on every margin is that you have some, some additional bit of in-universe information to, to uh, supplement what's going on in the main text. Yeah. I like to, uh, just calling back some of the art, there's a, a depiction of the Esperanza craft. Yes. Which is so good like yeah, that it's horrifying it's such a horrifying like moment but the art is so evocative that they did a new version of that for yeah. the new edition mm-hmm. um you get little bits and pieces of, of art like that through this section as well and it's like uh, oh, yeah i actually i actually want to call out a specific thing on that mm-hmm. it's, it's a small detail on that art is that there are two instances where you can literally see two bodies yeah uh that are are out like they're falling out of the uh, out of the Esperanza and going into space because like there's been a hull breach or something that those, that Holy crap. When I first noticed that as a child, I was like, are you kidding me? That's gruesome. Yeah. So and for people that may not know, the Esperanza is a, it was a space station that orbited the earth and that crashed into France in both versions of the book. It didn't crash. It was, well, it did crash, but it was blown out of the, out of orbit. Right. The aberrants attacked it and, right. and brought down. And when we say space station, what, like this is essentially a space station the size of an earth city. Right. It is a place where like hundreds of thousands of people lived. Right. And in the setting, it destroys almost all of France by creating a, a huge ravine, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, called um, the La, La Blessure. Mm-hmm. The wound. Yeah. One, good naming. And mm-hmm. just two horrifying and now you've got all these issues in western europe which change the setting in in so many interesting Mm -hmm. ways because you've now got the this place that used to be you know first world and now is is suffering um it just creates some Mm -hmm. interesting like challenges well that's that's another another thing to call out here is that aeon with like sort of the decimation of the majority of europe and the falling into fascism uh, of the United States and the Federated States of America really de-emphasized the West. Yeah. It basically said like, yeah, the West is not what it was. It's they're not, neither Europe or America are superpowers. Like America still kind of is a superpower, but it's kind of like a second class super, superpower. Uh, all these other places, South America, Australia, China, Africa, their star has risen way above what uh you know what the western powers ever were um which we can move on into talking about earth in general uh which you've got you've got basically individual sections regarding major places of the world uh and like i said all these other places in the world that aren't the western western are the forefront um you know what's known as like you know the the what would be called the third world or developing countries um, or, you know, the global South is much more prominent in the Aeon setting, even in the 1997 edition. Uh, it's even more so in the story path edition. Yep. And they do a really good job of saying, yes, we uh, acknowledge kind of the, the historic um, impacts of colonialism, but these mm-hmm. places have, have had to, um, and we wanted to show that they can um, get to a, a level of, of modernization that is held to a, a, a positive example. Trying to use yeah. the right language there, um, yeah. and it's hard. But yeah, I it think really is. It, 
I think they do a good job of it. Yeah, like for uh, Africa, they've, they've they've transformed it into what's known as the UAN, the United African Nations, uh, and it it recently clicked in my head. It's like, oh, that's the whole continent is Wakanda, right? Like the whole continent is just Wakanda now. It's like this super Afrofuturistic, uplifted, economic superpower. Right, um, African futurist. By African, the way, yeah. the, there's a distinction in the in the True. literature about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and like, like they are like the major space power uh, because they have the resource to make all the big spaceships uh, and it's not getting drained away by colonial powers. Um, yep. And I love that. Um, Sudamerica, South America is like the breadbasket is where the majority of the world gets their food because, you know, as a result of not getting hit as hard by the aberrant war and a lot of like reforestation and, and ecological revitalization it has a lot of sustainable food preparation, and that is where all a lot of wealth has flown into South America. Right. And North uh, America has basically got blown up by a uh, there's a whole area called the blight, mm-hmm. which may have been caused by an aberrant blowing up, may have been caused by something else. It's unclear, but it is infected by quantum energy. Uh, yeah. And so nothing can grow in the breadbasket of, of North America, yep. which is a huge deal. Yeah, very huge deal, um, which is, you know, why uh, the FS is part of the reason why the FSA formed by annexing Canada and Mexico, uh, which, oh, God, that's just like, these are two UN members. Like, right. like it's, it's one of those things of like, we let this happen because super people were stomping the world around. But man, it, like that is a big thing of like, I could definitely see a campaign of being like, all right, we're going to take this to task. Like that's, that shouldn't happen. We shouldn't have accepted this happening. It's a thing that needs to be made right. Yeah. The, the struggle there too, is it's a real reflection of what some elements of America have wanted for decades. Mm -hmm. And there is a, there's a serious worry in Canada sometimes where it's like, will we get invaded by the U S and people may think that as pure science fiction, but there are literal movements where that have asked, like, why don't we annex Canada? And it's like, whoa, yeah. no, nope, we shouldn't do that. Um, uh, another big part of Earth that is very new is the addition of Luna as sort of a major player. Uh, Moon is fully colonized in Aeon. Um, it was colonized during the aberrant era and it, it continues to be a major colony. I believe the United Nations headquarters moved up to the moon, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, is there's definitely a good reason to do that. <laughs> right. It's interesting because I believe in the new edition, the headquarters is still in New York. Really? I yeah. Need to double check that. I, I need to d- double check it as well. But I'm, I remember a reference to that. And interesting. It, it is interesting when you're like, oh, but that's still the FSA. Mm. Hmm. What does that mean for the UN? Yeah. So, question. Um, very interesting. Yeah, I'll have to double check that because I, I like it being on the moon better because sure. it, it, it detaches it from historical tendrils, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really says like, nope, this is we are still part of the Earth system. Uh, you know, the moon is very much, you know, uh, you know, the, the little child of, of Earth but it is not of any one particular old nation. Uh, we have other things in space. It, it very briefly goes into like what's happening in the rest of the solar system. Um, and then it goes into our extrasolar colonies, which are quite a few of them. Yep. Uh, 
And honestly, like, I think we're going to have to do a whole episode where we talk mm-hmm. about the aliens and the extrasolar yeah, like, stuff because there's so much there. So I look forward to like diving into those as a special thing where we talk about both editions. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to have to wrap it up. Today. We are have to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, so in general, impressions about Trinity, the uh, Aeon book. I Gosh. love this book. I think mm-hmm. everyone should. I think any storyteller or story guide should have a copy of this for things to pull ideas from. It doesn't mean you have to run your game like this, but yeah. it is a fun idea mill. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. You owe it to yourself to read, especially the in-color sections of it, uh, because it makes the setting live uh, in, in a way that is different from what we get presented in the story path system. It gives you a more vital living example of what the setting is like, as opposed to sort of the more detached academic version of what we get in the story path system. Yep. And it's a fairly inexpensive PDF on drive yeah. RPG. So real cheap. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, make sure that you keep your arms around the Trinity Continuum.